fired up about this message because for some of you, it's going to be our last time together before the year 2022. I won't see some of you again until, you know, after the new year. It's just the way the schedules work out. So I'm sad about that, but I'm also excited because this is the text that God has chosen to leave us off on together. 11 through 15, let's read. In him, him being Jesus, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, verse 13, and you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our sins by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, tonight we who claim your name have had our debt canceled, Lord, by the cross. We who were once dead, and Lord, and maybe some in here still are, were once dead in our trespasses. We were once in great spiritual debt to you for the sins we have committed. God, you have taken that debt, you have canceled it, you have nailed it to the cross, and through the blood of Jesus Christ and repentance of sin and faith in him, we are now made alive. And no longer dead, stinking in a rotten grave, Lord. Now we're alive. And our aroma is a sweet one because it's worship to you. So Lord, remind us what it means to be alive tonight. And if there be one here, Lord, who isn't yet, Lord, even tonight could be the night that someone is made alive in you. In your name we pray. Amen. There's a couple of key points I want you to see, and the first one is this, is that you and I were once dead in sin spiritually. There is a false gospel out in the world today, especially in North America, where we have very good medical care, our bodies live for a long time because of all the great science and medicine we have, and we don't really have a need for healing a lot of times. There's a great heresy and a false gospel that says you and I have some goodness inside of us and we just have to work really hard to bring that out. But the Bible speaks of an alternate, true message, which is that you and I were dead in our sin. Do you know what the word for flesh is in Greek? You hear me say flesh a lot, right? Resist the flesh. The flesh is tempting you to sin. Resist it. Turn away from it. Run from it. Get away from it, right? The word for flesh in Greek is the word sarx. Okay? In English, transliterated, it's S-A-R-X. Sarks, and it's where you and I get the English word sarcophagus. And it's loosely translated the coffin that never stops consuming. That's what this body is. And see, we like to think of ourselves, especially those of us who are younger and more healthy and can run all the miles and do all the jumps and do everything. We like to think of ourselves as young and healthy and fresh, but rather spiritually, we're a grave that doesn't stop consuming. Your flesh is eating away at you, and it's never going to stop. Now, I know that sounds like some kind of zombie horror movie, but it's the truth spiritually. You and I, who were dead in sin, we were dead. And there was no way for us to do any good, 
no way for us to even cry out to God, no way for us to do anything spiritually correct. We were only going to exist in death, and that was going to lead to more death. What the Bible calls the final judgment of the lake of fire, the final moment where they are cast in and perish for all eternity. This is important to understand because those who think that they are not dead spiritually and that they have something to offer God never repent. And this is the issue with any theology that tells you you don't have to repent because when you don't repent, your sins are not forgiven because you have not taken them to God who nails them to the cross. And when that doesn't happen, you stay in your sin and it consumes you. It eats at you. It takes away from you until you die. The Middle Ages speak of a punishment that if they found someone who had murdered his relative or murdered his neighbor, they would actually take the dead body and they would tie it to the back of the murderer. And they would carry around this stinking, rotten carcass. And the gangrene and the maggots and the bacteria of that dead body would eventually transfer to their living body and it would begin to kill them and eat away at them. Spiritually, this is what you and I are suffering. You and I have a dead body that's still attached to us, and it's eating away. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses. They say, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The temptations of Satan and the host of hell have led you away from God. Because this is what Satan does. He tempts. He tempts in the garden. He tempted Jesus. And now he tempts you. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived. So we have to admit to ourselves that this used to be me. I used to be this way. I used to be dead and live in death and celebrate death and enjoy it. But it was only when God made me alive that I was able to cry out to him. I was able to see what I was for the first time. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And this is what the world is after. The world is after pleasure of the flesh. We're seeking pleasure despite anything else at the cost of anyone else seeking that which it loves. It's an addiction. It's an addiction to comforts that would truly lead you to death. And the end of the verse says, and by nature, see, this is what something indwelling in us. This is not somebody else's fault. Nobody tricked me into it. Nobody made me do it. It was me and my nature, which this verse says, calls a child of wrath. By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is what you and I were. Now, I pose a question to you. Is that savable? That, that person of wrath? Can God just come to that person and go, you stink, you're a rotten, dead carcass, but I'm going to take this rotten, dead carcass, and I'm going to bring it up to heaven and put it in my throne room? Can God do that? I'm not trying to trick you. No, he can't. He will not have that unholiness and wickedness in his throne room. So he sends a mediator. He sends a great high priest. He sends the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was nailed to the cross, 
so that you could repent and believe and have him and his blood cover that dead body and bring it new life. Then God can receive you back into heaven. Without God, you and I are children of wrath, hating, cheating, lying, and killing, and we deserve death. But there's good news. There's great news, in fact. Look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, Christ now brings forgiveness to our sins with no repayment, with no obligation by you, with no works that you can accomplish to get him to save you. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, say this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. That's what we were just talking about in Ephesians. The blood of Jesus takes the death away. But look now. If we, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, the person who thinks that God doesn't care how bad they are, the person who thinks that they can just act however they want, or or dare I say, even the one who thinks, I'll go to church and I'll get saved, and then God has to let me into heaven because you can't lose your salvation, so then I'll get to just do whatever I want after that. This verse is a warning to that mind and that thought that if you continue to live in your sin, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves. And how do we say we have no sin? We say, I didn't do it. It's not my fault. Here's one I hear all the time, students. Get Dial in on this one. I don't have to apologize. It was them who did the bad thing, not me. And, and they need to apologize to me. That's saying that you have no sin. It's true. Because even if in this situation the person really does need to apologize to you, what does God tell us to do? He says to love even our enemies who would persecute us. How can we hang an apology over our neighbor when God, who deserved an apology from you and would not get one otherwise, sent his son to give it to you? If we say we have no sin, we lie to ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Is the truth in you tonight? One of the things I hear from young Christians all the time is they feel conviction of the Holy Spirit and they feel so bad. And they want help. They want to get it off. They want it to stop. And one of the greatest things I can say to them and teach them and even older Christians is that conviction is so sweet because it's the presence of the Holy Spirit working in you. It's good that you feel badly about your sin. It's good that you feel bad that you've sinned against God. Student, I can't tell you, there's nothing better than when you commit a sin and you feel the guilt even when you don't get caught. Even when nobody else knows. Only you know. But you still feel how wrong it is and that you need to make it right with God. That is a precious thing. Because this conviction is not lying to you. This conviction is not telling you, you're okay, don't worry, don't repent. These are the lies of Satan. What did he tell Eve in the garden? You won't surely die. But she did.
Verse 9, if we confess our sins, that is to give them up to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It does not matter what you've done. You don't have to clean up your act to take it to Jesus. You don't have to be good enough to come to church. What you need to do is bring your confession to the cross and give it to Christ. I can hear it. I can pray with you, but I cannot take it away from you. I can't cover you with my blood because my blood is death. There is only one who shed blood can truly cleanse your sin. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It is because God is rich in mercy and full of grace that he has raised you up. Your sin is forgiven. The debt that you owe that was going to take you and cast you into the fires of hell has now been forgiven. And I love this part of uh, Colossians. So look back at Colossians 2, 14. God has made you alive by canceling the debt. Have you ever owed someone some money? Right? There's larger amounts. You know, I got a mortgage, you know, car payment, you know, student loans. Ooh. <laughs> But just imagine owing somebody an amount of money, no matter how small, let's say it's $20, $20 bill, and you can't pay. And you're so ashamed. And the person you owe it to, man, they're your friend. They love you. And they come up and they say, hey, you got my, got my $20? And you're so ashamed. You're about to burst into tears. You're about to be, your, your head's hanging low because you're about to say, I can't pay it. I don't have the ability. I don't have the way. And the friend says to you, hey, don't worry about it. Consider it a gift. Can you imagine that feeling of that debt being canceled? Can you imagine the joy and the love you would have for that person who canceled that debt for you? We're talking not just about $20. We're talking about your eternal soul whom God has canceled the debt that was going to persecute it and perish it in hell. How can we then say, thanks a lot, God, and go on with our day? Should we not in an infinity times over, worship the one who has canceled this debt? I think we should. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. This is within the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus is teaching the disciples and you how to properly pray. And we read the Lord's Prayer a lot of times. We just read right through it, right? Or we pray right through it. But consider verse 12, where it says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So if God has forgiven you this great debt, if he's canceled this debt of sin, what debt does someone owe to you that you could cancel? Right now today, you could cancel, but you haven't. Are you holding some power over someone? Remember when earlier I spoke about getting an apology? What if there's somebody right now out there in your life whom they have offended you, they are hurting, you hold the debt over them. And right now today, you have two choices. You could either continue to let bitterness and anger grow in your heart towards that person, or today you could cancel that debt. You could cancel that debt. You could say to them, hey, don't worry. 
There is no more debt anymore. I've given it up. That's what God has done for you. And why not turn? Why not turn and do the very same thing for your neighbor? I mean, Jesus has several parables about this very thing. I don't even have time to go into each one. The famous one, though, for Matthew is the man who owed a debt. The master forgave him. He goes to the next servant who owes him a very small debt and says, pay me. The servant says, I can't. Please forgive me. The guy gets upset, throws the servant in jail. He was just forgiven for the very same thing he's now persecuting someone for. And you may have never done that physically with real money, but listen, Christians, listen. We have done this with our emotions, with our feelings, with our love, and with our apologies. You have begged someone to forgive you, and they did. And there have been times when you wouldn't forgive someone else. I know, because I've done it. And sometimes I don't even realize that I'm living out this biblical parable. And I'm not the hero of the story. I'm not the good Samaritan. Remember, in my flesh, I'm dead in sin. I'm the one who is persecuted. And we know this because our great Lord and Savior, He was persecuted. Did Jesus owe anything? Did Jesus ever sin or make a mistake? Did Jesus curse anyone? Wrongly convict somebody? Did He ever say the wrong thing at the wrong time? Never. Yet he is the one whom the payment was taken for. It should have been you and I. You and I deserved to be nailed to that cross, but instead it was the Son of God. There's almost no way to truly bring it across lest we actually view literal crucifixion, which is just about the most horrible way to kill somebody. But we can see it this way. Have you ever had someone in your life who loved you when you did not deserve it? Have you? When you did not deserve it, you may have even been angry and bitter. We're sitting with primarily young people in this room, so a lot of times it's between child and parent. Most of the time. And some of you right now are looking at me like, yeah, okay, don't start. <laughs> Have you ever done wrong to your parents and they forgave you when you didn't deserve it? You know what that feels like? That feeling when mom or dad says, hey, it's okay. God has done that in Jesus Christ for you. And students, I so don't want you to leave here and be gone a month and see you back in January in the new year, I so don't want you to leave here with the idea that church is fun and everything's great, and what do I have to worry about? Because there's two things that should be going on. Number one is the repentance of sin and the understanding that God has forgiven a debt, but only if you, as Mark chapter 1 says, repent and believe. And if that hasn't happened, here's the second thing. And I know it's not fun to talk about conviction in this way, especially over Christmas. But students, it is my solemn prayer that God would not leave you alone. That God would bother you and prick your heart and not allow you to sleep 
and not allow you to focus and not allow you to enjoy your hobbies and the fun things you like to do until you repent and believe in his son. I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. I'm praying for some of you to be agitated. I'm praying for some of you to just feel the heat. Or you can't just sit in apathy anymore. You can't sit in your lack of care anymore. You have to get up and you have to go to the Lord Jesus Christ and be forgiven. It is the only way to be made alive. And it is the difference. Behind the sanctuary here, we have a cemetery that I'm guessing a lot of you don't know or didn't know anybody buried out there. In fact, most times when I'm with students, they don't ever want to be around a cemetery. They don't want to talk about it or go in one, especially at night. I cannot tell you for the past decade how many summer camps and denows, whoever's had to sleep in the back Sunday school rooms of this church where the windows face the cemetery, have told me countless times, do you know how many ghost sightings we've had here at Joppa? Okay. Seriously, it's like in the it's in the double digits. It's almost triple at this point. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. They will. I I may have even done it one time. <laughs> Come on, guys, let's go. <laughs> would you like to know? Would you like to know why I'm not afraid of that cemetery? Because well, I do have Jesus. That's one reason why. Gabe, you said it, I have gotten to know and have had the privilege to know some of those people, a lot of those people. And there's people sitting in this room right now, they knew more than I did. So when I walk through that cemetery, that is not a place to me of death and misery. Rather, it is a place of light because I can see on the gravestones the names of God's saints who kept this church and kept it alive in dark times. Guys, the whole point tonight is being made alive. Those people are not in those graves. Their souls have gone straight to the Lord for they were made alive. And that's my charge to you tonight. Have you? Have you? Is that a place that you could enjoy being made alive in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus? That's what I want for you. That's what I hope that you do. And guys, some of you I won't see until next year, so I say God bless you. I want you to know I love you. Okay? All right, thank you. Thank you. But if you have not, if you have not been made alive, then I call upon you to go to the Lord Jesus today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, once again, we approach your throne in prayer. God, it is my great hope that all in here would eventually turn to you. But Lord, I know the truth sometimes, that these are gospel seeds that are being planted, and they may not bloom for years or even decades. Lord, that in some of these young people's mind, one day there'll be a moment where they come to faith and they say, man, this little country church with these people in there, they loved me, and they taught me about Jesus, the only Savior. And I don't know why I didn't hear it then. But I know it now. Lord, that's such a sweet prayer. And I pray by your will that it comes true. Lord, I pray for those who are believers in here right now tonight. God, I ask that you would bless them through this Christmas season. Bless them through this new year. The great activities we have going on, Lord. Those on the winter trip. Those who are serving. 
God, once again, our final prayer should be, make this place all about you. To the worship of your glory for all eternity. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.